Alrighty, great to see. We left off where in chapter 12, we were kind of getting ready for verse 14, 12, 14. So we talked last time, which seems like forever ago, that God's rule was uh, commit adultery and murder and or murder, we take you on stone you. That should have been what happened to David because he'd done both of them. But God did not do that because we need to understand, and again, that's the way he was then, that's the way he is today, God's mercy trumps judgment. Now, that's only if we, the recipients of the mercy, demonstrate our willingness to receive the mercy. So you can't keep shaking your fist at God and expecting him to be merciful. Uh, you can't shake your fist at God and expect God to say, oh, that's okay, you're a nice guy, and I'll continue to, to, to bless you and forgive you and do all these kind of things. It doesn't work that way, right? So it has to be a willingness on our part, but that's why that mercy kicked in, because David genuinely repented. Nathan comes, and so, okay, understand, my bad. I, I should not have done that. Lord, please forgive me. Now, that's way different than Saul's, quote, repentance, because Saul was always trying to, he always had an ulterior motive. He was always trying to finagle God, manipulate God into doing what he wanted to do. God, of course, knows that, so that's why he didn't bless Saul, and that's why eventually he cut off Saul. This is the pattern, this is the way it goes, and so you've used up all your chances. Bye-bye, thanks for playing our game. David, however, is willing to work with God. God knows that, and so God will respond, and so his mercy overweighs the judgment. Now, that should be incredible news for us because we too, especially having gone through last week, we know that we should have received the penalty of, of our sin. I mean, we, yeah, you and I are only here because of God's mercy, <laughs> right? That's, that's all there is to it. So, you know, if, if God were the hard nut that he often seems to be, especially here in the Old Testament, which many people out there say, well, that God's big meaning and all that type of thing. No, it's only with people that refuse to work with God. Those of us that are willing to work with God, then we get blessing upon blessing. We get forgiveness. We get his love. We get his mercy. We get, we get all this goodness coming to us. And yes, we may occasionally, hopefully not deliberately, but may occasionally continue to sin, but still we can be forgiven. That's the good news. But a, 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 an outer rejection of God results in God rejecting us. Only makes sense. So that disputes what is the theory out there that, nah, just try and be a pretty nice person and I'm okay with God. Right? doesn't work that way. So you have to accept Jesus and you have to you know, work with God throughout your life. You have to make that decision, and from that decision on, continue to do that for the rest of your life. Kind of like uh, Jesus describes at the Last Supper, you know, I'm the vine, you are the branches. I mean, you can choose to cut yourself off and just sit there on the ground and wither and die. Uh, but if you change your mind, I'll be willing to graft you back on. But if you're not going to produce fruit, I'm going to cut you back off again, throw you on the ground. If you decide to, you know, come back again, I'll graft you back on. We'll just keep doing that. Uh, but... The danger of that process is if Jesus returns or you die and catches you on the ground, yeah, that's going to be a little, 
let, let me word it this way. You, you don't have the assurance of your salvation at that point, <laughs> right? You've, you've thrown that into jeopardy and question. So don't do that. Stay, stay connected to Christ. Continue to receive the life, the life that Christ wants to give to you in the, that vine and branch relationship, and you're good to go. But rejecting God, rejecting God, rejecting God results in, guess what? We're rejected. So final judgment then for those persons is not God you know, looking and saying, well, you were a really bad person and all that type of thing. No, it's just you rejected me, and I'm confirming your rejection of me. Here's signed notarized paper <laughs> saying that you rejected me all your life. Therefore, I just want you to see that in writing to make sure you understand why you don't get to spend forever with me. Thank you. Goodbye. Next. That's what final judgment is going to be. But for the rest of us who are striving to be faithful now and relying as David, at least at this point, on the goodness of God and his forgiveness, mercy, grace, and all those kind of good things, then we were in a separate category. Remember the, the separation of the sheep and the goats, right? That's what we're talking about. So there's only one way to that salvation, that is through Christ. Any other thing you try to do will put you in the goat category. And goats don't get nothing. They get yucky stuff. Because I pointed out last time from Exodus 34, God identifying himself. Now, this is right after coming out of Egypt. Yeah, I mean, the people are still... You've know, you got to keep in mind now, these people in the Exodus account for generations did not know God. They completely forgot about God. They had no sense of God whatsoever as slaves. So they're just getting to know God. And so God helps them by saying, this is who I am. I am slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who I am. I am willing to do that for you if you will allow me to do that. Now, another case in point are those Jews that received that message. They did not receive that message, though, right? <laughs> they you know, constructed a golden calf. They did a whole bunch of other terrible things. And basically said, God, you know, feed us, take care of us, but we, we don't want anything to do with you. And God said, fine. I don't want anything to do with you either. So we'll wait to the next generation. And the next generation truly was perhaps the most awesome Jewish generation in history under leadership of Joshua. You know, the whole you know, storming the walls of Jericho and the whole nine yards, just awesome. I mean, they were incredibly faithful. And they got it because you, you recall Joshua you know, is you know, standing up giving the speech and saying, all right, we're at a crossroads here. There's millions of us. Are we going to follow God or are we going to follow these, these pagan gods? As for me and my house, we are going to follow God. And all the people together says, wait, you're not the only one. We, tell you, we get it. We see how stupid our parents were. We're not going to be that stupid. We are following God as well. Yes. So, I mean, just unity, just the whole nine yards, it was awesome and incredible. So, David gets to experience that, that grace. But now we turn to verse 14. So, immediately after this genuine repentance comes merciful forgiveness. And yet, immediately after merciful repentance comes the consequence of sin. Sin that has been forgiven and forgotten by God still will leave human scars. Should I say that again? Sin that has been forgiven and forgotten by God will still leave human scars. So what that means is that God forgives, but the effect of whatever our sin was will remain. 
God's not going to magically remove that. So the, you know, when you use words like, you know, God's punishment, uh, you know, God's judgment, uh, you know, those harsh terms, and we're going to see David do this. He's equating now for years. Anything bad that happens, he says, well, that's because I had the affair with Bathsheba and whacked Uriah, right? So, yeah, just God getting even with me. No, it doesn't work that way at all. God, if God forgets, why would God get even with you? He doesn't remember it anymore, right? It's, it, it's, it's a, it's a non-issue for God. But unfortunately, that one sin does put into motion a series of events that God is not going to stop. Yes, he could, but he won't because he's given us free will. If God is going to stop that, then we no longer have free will and we're, we're puppets on a string. So to, to keep us free will people, then it has to be this way. Love you. Sorry this is going bad for you, but you did it. <laughs> right? So God's not going to you know, stop that from happening. He's going to allow it to happen. But in our free will, we can also begin to turn that around. And we're going to see that happen with David. Is he's going to go for years and he does nothing constructive. Especially with his family. Is that any wonder his son tries to kill him? Right? So he could have done something positive and constructive, but he chooses not to. He chooses to sit on the throne like a bump on the log for years. Just with the guilt of that sin. Even though God says, I forgive you, and I forget, he can't move on. He allows that burden to weigh him down. Now, does that not sound like a devilish plot? This is where you say yes, 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 right? That's exactly what the devil does. You see, you know, the, the, the devil wants us you know, living in guilt because guilt separates us from God. That's exactly what we see here. He goes for years and doesn't talk to God anymore. He's so guilty over what he has done. He can do nothing. He just sits there. And somehow the power of forgiveness, as great as David is and as close of a relationship he has with God, is, is lost. So that affair and murder has put into a process now that again could be turned around, but the, 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 the train is rolling downhill. And apparently now at this point it has no brakes. But somehow David does not understand that he has the power to change it. See, that's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness gives us the ability to change not the past, but to change the present. That rather than continue, okay, this is the way it was. We had a terrible relationship and we hated each other. Now with forgiveness, does that not change the relationship? You don't say I forgive you and you say you forgive me and then we keep hating each other and keep, keep, keep fighting and keep doing everything bad. We can choose to no longer do that. And the beauty in relationship is when one person stops the, uh, the, the evil behavior, by definition, the other person has to change as well. If only one person is fighting, it's no longer a fight. <laughs> right? That's how it works. So we do have, in our free will, we have the opportunity to turn sin around, to make it into something good. But sitting and doing nothing will simply allow the evil to continue. So we have to do good to counteract the evil. That's what the New Testament says. Unfortunately, David's not quite aware of that. Shoot.
if you say that God forgives you and don't remember it no more, and because you did sin, it puts in a, a chain of events that you can't stop. No, you can stop. If you don't do anything, it won't stop. What? You sin. Let's, let's use the example of David. David had this affair. She got pregnant. Baby dies. But he still you know, whacked her husband, so now he marries her. All right? Now, that's a whole series of sin. None of that should have happened. Right. All right? So what do you do? He could have. He could have made it worse. Uh, could have divorced Bathsheba. Now she has nobody. Right? So that wouldn't have been good. So, interestingly, stays married to her, eventually has Solomon, the next king. That's pretty cool. But if he got rid of her, that wouldn't have happened. So what I'm saying is we still have great control over our lives. That we're not helpless victims because we had this sin back then. So people can turn their lives around from, I mean, big things. I mean, Moses murdered a guy. Did he not turn that around? Paul murdered a whole bunch of Christians for crying out loud. How did he turn that around? But interestingly, Paul, that doesn't seem to be a real issue in the early church. I mean, it was a little bit. Maybe the first time or two he showed up to a church and said, Hi, I'm Paul. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like one of you guys now. <laughs> you, know, you know, you've been killing us for years. You know, I mean, is this a trick? Yeah, this is a trick. Uh, I'm not going to that service tonight because he's going to have soldiers there and arrest all of us, right? So you know, it was just a little wee bit of that. But the, the early Christians were able to see, yeah, this is a genuine repentance. A, 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 you know, God has forgiven him. God has called him. Therefore, I'm willing to work with him. That's you know, really one of the greatest joys I have in ministry is you know, some, somebody starts coming to church and you know, gets active and does all kinds of things and you know, professes their faith and everything. And, but you were this way back then. So do I, from 20 years ago, what your, your crime was, what your sin was, do I continue to allow that to say, well, you say that you're this way today, and I see direct evidence you, you are really a good Christian now, but you did that 20 years ago, and no, I can't, I can't forgive you for that. That doesn't sound right. So you can take a sin, and you can turn it around. But there's... There is fallout. There's things that, that will happen, but you can keep it from getting so bad. Or you can choose to just sit there, rot in jail, come out of jail, and then just cut off all relations. I mean, you can choose to, to handle it very badly. But God gives us free will that we can choose to do good. Like what David should have done. Okay, Nathan comes in. Here's your sin. David says, now he repents genuinely. Great start. But then he can't David himself can't forget what God has forgotten. And just sits on the throne and allows guilt to build and build and build and build to the point that he is, as, as a king, becomes infinite. He does nothing. Now I'm talking years. Years and years and years. So, what I'm saying is, we, in our free will we have the option. The wisdom would be, the past is the past. The future hasn't happened yet. All we have is today. You make the most of the today so that you'll have a better tomorrow. Does that make any sense at all? Well, yeah, but 
But but I look at it as when you ask God to forgive you and he doesn't remember it no more and then it puts in a chain of events and the devil tries to to really guilt ridden you the chain of events that is the free will I look at it as how God looks at it. I look at it as how God would look at it as how you handle the guilt and move on. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That yep. he, he doesn't stop the ugliness from happening because what you did here, this is going to happen, but it's how you handle what you did here that caused this and move on. Is, am I thinking right? Right. So, so part of the ugliness as you describe it is your sin. Sin is never done in isolation. There's no sin that just affects you. Every sin affects at least one other person. So now, if I sin against Donna, that has affected our relationship and affected her personally. I'm forgiven, but the fallout, the consequence is, what's, what's Donna going to do with this now? Right? If I leave her alone, she's going to continue to harbor whatever Ill, Ill feelings... And that's why in programs like AA and many other you know, programs like that, you have to go back over your history and make right what you have made wrong. So you make a list of all the people you've hurt over the years, and you have to go to them, confess your sin, and ask for their forgiveness. That's incredibly healthy and therapeutic, right? And hard to do. And hard to do. <laughs> but the more you do it, the more you practice it, the, 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 the better it gets. So you, you go without excuse. Just, I sinned against you. I was wrong. I'm terribly sorry. Please forgive me. Now the ball's in her court. So in her free will, she can choose to forgive me or not. But you see, it, it affected somebody else or affected a whole, whole host of people. So that now we've got to make it right with all these people. So every person that has been affected now has the free will to respond to that sin. See how, how far-reaching? I mean, it's, it's really the stone thro thrown in the lake. It just The ripple effect is, is, is absolutely incredible. It goes and goes and goes. Because now, you know, what I did to Donna, she's already told all y'all what I did. And that affects every one of you. See how it, it, just, it just goes crazy. That's what sin does. So all we can do is make sure we are right individually with God. And try to make it right with everybody else. But if they won't allow it to be made right, then that's between them and God. But at least we have made the effort. That's, that's what repentance does. You're trying to make right what I made wrong. And so David's letdown here is the fact that he just, he just sits. He doesn't do anything proactively to remedy the issue. Well, it's difficult when you kill somebody. You really can't go back and tell them you're sorry. Tough, tough stuff. Now, the, the, the sense verse 14 has, you know, the Lord has taken away your sin. Okay? See that? Forgiveness. You are not going to die. I'm not going to hold this against you. But... There you go, Reagan. Your favorite word, but. <laughs> but because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. You see? The effect of how far-reaching that is. So all these, these neighboring countries that you've been fighting and all that, 
It has generated, you, you have demonstrated to them utter contempt for me, God. I'm the one in charge. That has a huge effect. And by the way, the son born to you will die. Now that kind of sounds like God is making the child die. Get, give me a minute to talk you out of that. <laughs> I was going to say, be like a sacrifice. Yeah, well, in a, in a sense, but yeah, if God is doing that, then we're, we're all in pretty big trouble here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just like I say, you follow that, it's natural progression, and it, 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 it gets painful. You see, this is, and we've seen it a hundred times. God is God, therefore, everything is God's fault. God made everything and made us stupid enough to have free will that we choose wrong and make these consequences. It's, we, we, are, we are much like Eve, or Adam, in the garden. Bless you. Right? God goes to Adam. Remember what he says? Does he take responsibility for, for doing what he should not have done? No, he blames him. The woman you gave me, God. <laughs> you see? It, this is your fault. You see? Now, that, I mean, it began then, and that's to this day is still a very Jewish mindset. This cause and effect. If something bad happens, God's after you. If something good happens, God is blessing you. But it all comes back to God. It's the, 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 think of life as a funnel. You dump all of life in it, it funnels right down to God. Everything is God's fault or God's blessing, however you want to look at it. But God is directly involved in everything. That's the way they understand things. So the way this is written makes it sound like God is causing this child to die. Well, God is causing this child to die because he gave the, the possibility in our free will, the natural order of things, for this child to die. So what I'm saying is God does not kill this child. God killed this child. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm not, not going to be a Christian anymore. I mean, that's just, well, there's do it. If that's the way this God is, you know, I don't want any part of that. But you see, what I'm saying is, I, you know, it should be clear in a thousand of the places in the Bible that's not the way God works. Uh, hearken back to, to, to the Exodus with Pharaoh. Ten plagues, exactly five of them, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart against God. The five others say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's only saying the same thing. God hardened Pharaoh's heart by giving Pharaoh free will to harden his own heart. You see, it's God's fault. So it's, it's not direct, it's indirect that God makes it possible for these things to happen. Much the same as um, when 9-11 happened. One of the most prominent Christians in our nation that day got on the national airwaves and said this is God's punishment against America for homosexuality really God, God, God works that way does he are you kidding me I mean that, that, that ruined more people from ever accepting Christ than any other single thing I think in all of human history including the crusades <laughs> You know, because people think, if that's the way this God is, then pff, I don't want any part of that. He doesn't work that way. It's ridiculous. It's not a direct cause and effect. But God allowed people like these terrorists 
to be able to do this. He could have stopped them, but he didn't. In the natural order of things, God either has to let us do it, or he's going to do it. If he lets us do it, we have free will. If he doesn't, we no longer have free will. And we're nothing more than robots. And that's a choice. Do you want to be a robot? I don't. So we take the chance of free will so that we can then freely choose to do the right thing. That's what God wants for us. So in the Jewish mindset, in this culture for thousands of years and even to this day, if you are financially secure and you have at least one son, God loves you and God is blessing you. Because the best thing you can have is a son that will continue your name. That's it. That's the best you can hope for. That's in fact the, the reality. So, but that's the way they understand things. So if God loves you, he blesses you this way. If not, then he takes it away. Go back to Job. That was the story. When things are good, wow, God really loves you. When he lost everything, what did you do? Why, why does God hate you so much? Why does God hate you more than any other person on earth <laughs> to make your life worse than everybody else's? So it's not only the, the matter of God you know, blessing or cursing, it's also the degree to which God is blessing or cursing. So a person who's incredibly rich and has a lot of sons, oh, God really, really loves you. And somebody who's you know, at the other end of the, the financial and, and child scale, you know, God is cursing you. So back in this culture, women who, who did not have a child in particular, but a son in, in even more particular, you know, what did you ever do that God hates you so much? A barren woman was the worst thing you could possibly be in, in, a, in a Jewish culture. I don't know about that. Yeah, really. I'm rethinking think having kids all together. Huh? <laughs> can, I, can I take it back, God? Right? So, you see, I mean, it's so, so financially, child-wise, and health-wise are the big three. So if you have those going for you, God's blessing you. In other words, keep doing what you're doing. If not, God hates you, and there's a better than good chance there's nothing you can do to fix it. Really? That's where David's at. God has been blessing me, blessing me, blessing me. Now all of a sudden, I've done something wrong. I deserve the curse of God. And he just doesn't understand that. God said, I forgive you. I'm wiping the slate clean, and we are doing it no more. But he can't forgive himself. He can't forgive himself. That's just it. Yep. That's, that's an integral part of the process. So uh, remember the story with Jesus? A, a, a child is, a, a lame from birth child is brought to Jesus. And it's the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, all right, whose fault is this? I mean, that's what they ask him. Who sinned? The parents or the child? Those are the only two options. Did the parents commit some sin that God is getting even with them for the sin they did way back when in making this child lame? Or was the child sinning in the womb <laughs> and therefore God is getting even with the child in, you know, from the womb? Which one, Jesus? Jesus says, well, there's a third option. Stuff happens. <laughs> right? In the natural order of things, there are possibility of malnormalities in in, in birth. 
there is the possibility that some children die at birth or soon after birth. There are possibilities of disease coming. There is possibility of natural disasters. There's possibility of these. And none of them mean anything. <laughs> Jesus said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. They, they, they don't mean anything. They're not a sign of anything. It's just in the natural order of things, people choose wrong. I've given you free will to make wrong decisions, and unfortunately, most people continue to make wrong decisions. Even more unfortunately, their bad decisions affect us and drag us into it as well. That's what sin does. Now, if, if a pregnant woman smokes two packs of cigarettes a day, does cocaine every day, and drinks a bottle of vodka every day, and a child is born with birth defects, would that mother have any right to curse God? No. Right? I mean, in free will, see what, I have done this to myself. Unfortunately, I've done it to another life as well. But that's what sin does, you see? It, it, it is never done in isolation. It always affects at least one other person, which then will affect dozens and hundreds of, of others. So in that scenario, the child is not being punished for being a child. It's the, so punishment is not what we're talking about here. The punishment is, I let you go. I let you do your own thing. Basically, the old expression, I give you enough rope to hang yourself, right? That's what God does. That's what free will is. It's exactly what it is. I give you the possibility. And again, go back to you know, Deuteronomy. Yeah. Before you today, there's good and evil. Which one are you going to pick? For me and my house, we're going to choose God. The choice is always before us. Our free will, we get to decide So this baby's death was not, not, not David's punishment. There's not a punishment. God does not say there is a punishment for this sin. Community service, you know, go time out, you know, whatever. There's not a punishment specified. But God does declare that. Because you have free will and I know the future, I know what you're going to do. I know the decisions you're going to make today, tomorrow, and each day that will lead to some more bad stuff in the future. Now that would have got my attention. And I would have said immediately right there, you know, when David's, uh, Nathan's standing before me, please ask God what I can do to turn this around. Because <laughs> Nathan says, speaking for God, the sword will never leave your, your house. There's going to be incredible fighting in your house, and we're going to see that unfold. My question would be, since I have such a good relationship with God, is there something I can do to turn this around? He never asked that question. As if to say, I resign myself to, to this life. So what I'm saying is that's the worst decision you can make. Apathy is always the worst decision. Now, does that help you understand why David is forgiven, but the child still dies? This is just absolute rock-bottom core Christian faith. If you don't understand this about God and have a very clear understanding about the nature of God in terms of situations like this, 
then it, your your faith is going to go off in the ozone somewhere. Anything else we can talk about to help nail this down for you? All right, so make it personal now. The next time something bad happens to you, are you going to assume God is mad at you? No. When your battery in your car dies <laughs> and you have somewhere important to go, is that God shaking his fist at you? No. Batteries die. Sorry. Batteries die. Okay. Interestingly, my wife's fault. Yeah, that's a, but see, in her free will, she, she left the door ajar, which left the light on, right? Or, or left the headlights. See, I mean, but it's not God doing that to you, right? It's not God doing it. You did it to yourself, so just take responsibility for it. I made a mistake, but the beauty of mistakes is they're designed to help us to learn not to do that again. Now, I've done some dumb things with cars, and I thought, I won't do that again. One of the dumbest things was uh, there's a, a, a product called a, a very toxic uh, cleaner called Carb Cleaner. It used to clean out the old carburetors. It tears off you know, years of uh, dirt and grime and grit, grit and all that and use that to clean a few things. Uh, one of them is, is a PCV valve in your car. It's a little check valve that you've got to keep clean. So every 15,000 miles or so, you get that out and spray a little carb cleaner in. One time I was spraying that and I was, you know, just had my face too close to it, sprayed it, and some of it shot back in my I thought I was blind. I mean, it burns so bad. But guess what? I've never done that again. <laughs> I learned from my mistake, right? And I've told others that I'm working on, on cars with, right? You know, all right, go clean this. Don't get your eyes away. Shoot it out that way. Do something, but don't let that get near your eyes. It hurts like crazy, right? So I learned from those fakes, and you're able to pass that on. So God forgives us, and yet sometimes bad things happen. Interestingly, on, on 9-11, some people did have some cars that wouldn't start. I mean, there's supposed to be thousands of people in those twin, twin towers. And, you know, that morning, some of them, kid, kid woke up, I had the flu. Had to go to the doctor, the hospital or something. Ruined their day. What I was planning to do didn't happen. I was supposed to go to work. That was pretty cool, though, right? Mm -hmm. Boy, am I glad my battery died that day, right? I wasn't there whenever the buildings collapsed, right? So you just don't know. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to this, so that's not a blessing, it's not a curse. It's just something that happens. It's just something that happens. Life happens. But why is the child that says before he's born that he will surely die? So God is not saying I'm going to make that happen. He's saying I know that's going to happen. He see, there's a huge difference, you see? And that's this whole Nathan thing. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's telling the future. He's even given specificity that we're going to see unfold in chapter 18. That someone, someone close to you, he says, is going to sleep with your wives. <laughs> that's in broad daylight. I mean, how specific is that? And that's exactly what's going to happen. Absalom is going to, is going to do that. But it's not that God made it happen, it's God knows it's going to happen. See, that's, that's, that's the theological shift that you need to make. If you can understand that basic principle, like I say, that, that, is, that is core. That is the absolute foundation of our faith. You have to understand that God knows the future, but God is not dictating the future. He's allowing the future. But now, with that in mind, no, Linda, God knows everything. So God knows that when the end is. 
So the end, the revelation stuff, is not, you know, God just, you know, occasionally looking down on earth and said, okay, that's bad enough, let's do it now. Right? There is a day set, there is an exact time set since before time. The, the whole thing is laid out. And God knows when that is. And that's why it says you will never figure this out. If you try and figure it out, it's a sin. God alone knows when that is. You don't have to know. Trust God with today. Don't worry about tomorrow. And you're all set ready to go. Get ready today. As if today were the day. Because God knows when that is. We don't. End of story. So there's nothing we are doing here on earth that is going to make it come faster. There's nothing we can do here on earth that's going to push that date out further. The plan is set and God knows every detail of what we are doing every day. God knew that you would be here right now at 10.08 at, at a.m. on this Wednesday. He knew that. He didn't make you come, but he didn't stop you from coming either. He just knew. Linda is going to be here for Bible study. Yay. Right? It's just, it's what you chose to do. But now that then fits into everything else every other piece of every other person on the planet every day of their lives. So what God's waiting for, who knows? But it does say God is patient and pushes the date out to give more people an opportunity to come to their right mind and accept Christ. But there will come a day when the curtain is going to close. <laughs> right? When that's going, going, going to be it. So yes, thanks for asking that. That's, that's, that's really the issue. God knows what's going to happen, but is not making it happen. But God, in his infinite wisdom and able to see everything, all the pieces of the puzzle, knows how it all fits together. And we have trouble doing that. So when, when the health crisis comes, when a uh, loved one suddenly dies, when, 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 when the disasters of life happen to us, see, God, God knows, okay, that still fits into what I'm trying to accomplish here. In the world and in your life in particular. You see? Now, I can't look at 8 billion people at one time and, <laughs> and see that progression. I'm not that good. But God can. And as people live, as people die, you know, it just it all is working together. And that's why Romans 8.28, that God works all things for the good for those who love him. Not, don't stop at all things for the good, because that means that all dogs go to heaven. Right? That's not what it says. If we love God, then God will work all this out. So that's why the early church, terrible. Oh my gosh. Awful, awful, awful. Every day you're waiting for somebody to rest you and kill you, get to feed you the lions. It was awful. Your family hates you. Um, they're ready to turn you into the police. Uh, it was just, just ridiculous. And so when, when others found out you are Christian, you couldn't get a job. Uh, but just so, I mean, just the worst life you could possibly imagine. But they were looking ahead to the promise. <clears throat> These difficult years here on earth will result in my eternity in heaven. So a couple of years, bad years here on earth, trade that in for an eternity in heaven, sign me up. So you see, we, we can, we're created in the image of God, we can think like God. That rather than get stuck in the today and just, oh, woe is me, we can look down the road to the future that Jesus had prepared for us. Remember what he says in John 14? I go to prepare a place for you. Right? In other words, the plan is set. I got this. Can you trust me with this? 
No, it's tough now. In this life, you will have trials. You will have suffering. No one is exempt. Some of us, yes, more than others, but we all get it. And it stinks. Now, in our free will, we can choose to shake our fist at God and curse God. Why did you do this to me? Which is the worst theology ever. Or we can choose instead to see, okay, the natural order of things, these things happen. God, I still trust you in the todays and tomorrows. I can't make you do that. I can choose to do that myself. But hopefully in our personal examples, then that will be an influence for the good in the lives of others. So character is defined as how we respond to the crisis of our life. And that's what we see in David, is a true character coming forth. Confronted with his sin, could have easily said, you know, off with Nathan's head. I don't like the message, therefore I'm going to stop the message. He could have easily said that. But instead he stood there and took it, and he said, God, you're right, I repent. Any other thoughts on this big, big, big theological concept? Now you can see why I didn't start this two weeks ago. <laughs> now, I look at when bad things happen, it's more of a teaching you a lesson. Sure. It's a test. As to, you know, like you said, do you blame God or do you say, okay, I was an idiot and I won't do that again? Or it's something that you have to learn from. And that's what, when children die and you see how families either rally around yeah. and help each other out or whether it tears the family apart. Yeah. They, they isolate each other and, yeah. Is how they, you know, blame each other, respond to it. Uh, it's a teaching uh, thing that people need to go to God and ask for the comfort right. and to be able to move on, understanding that it wasn't anything maybe that they did and that it wasn't God's fault right. because yeah. they did something they shouldn't have. But Things that's happen. how I look at it as a learning experience. Now, if you were, you were drunk driving with somebody else in the car and you have an accident and they, that person is killed, yeah, that's pretty much your fault. Yes. <laughs> right, you choose to do that and so, yeah, so they're, you know, that, that, that would be tough to recover from, that you were responsible for someone else's, you know, personal injury or even worse, death. But still, you, learn from you, could, that? you could come back from that. that. That's not a life sentence. Do it again. Yeah. You can choose to, to, to never do that again. In fact, be an influence to others to not do that do themselves. That. So you can, you can turn it around. The New Testament speaks very clearly that the purpose of suffering is, as Don is saying, is to bring us closer to God. That's the purpose. That's the test. If we will, in our free will, allow that to happen. If we reject it, then we're going down the path that God does not want us going down. That we think, well, if God's going to do this to me, then I don't want anything to do with God. That's not, it's supposed to draw you closer because we know that when I'm weak, he is strong. So a willingness, a humbleness to say, I, I am weak, I need you, God. That's where the relationship really starts to grow. And 
you know, being in, in a test model, you know, God's not going to keep testing us time and time and time and time and time again. You're going to be tested a few times. If you get the test right, you won't be tested anymore. I mean, that happened in school, right? Weren't you glad when the test was over? <laughs> right? Don't have to take this nonsense again. I was really glad when the SATs were over. Uh, right? Yeah, this is just, okay, that's done. Now I move on to the next thing. That's what, what God does with us. You pass that test, now we'll move on to the next thing. So it's not just keep pounding us, it's just to make sure that we get the test right. And the test is always pass-fail. So David is tested now. Tested to see how he's going to respond to the, uh, the, the, the outing of his sin. And now, worse yet, the death of this child. Drop down to verse 20. Notice what David does as soon as the child dies. He goes to worship. Now again, a crisis reveals one's true character. The discussion in verses 20 to 23 is because the custom of the day was that you were basically required by all social graces that you would mourn for seven days. So you'd put on black clothing, you would walk around cry all day long. I mean, you would actually present yourself as a mourner, that everyone would know you were mourning. So you'd go through the outward signs of mourning. But go back to verse 18. It says that David started mourning as soon as the child is born. So David has been mourning for the seven days of this child's life. Therefore, David is declaring that his mourning is over. I have already mourned my customary seven days. And he actually says, will my mourning bring the child back? Will going through the mechanics of mourning do anything to help? No. So instead, the faithful response is, I will go to God. I will go to worship. David comforts his wife, and da -da, she conceives again and gives birth to Solomon. And who, Solomon like David, becomes great in the nation of Israel. So again, it, it, you can't think of this as, well, God, God punished David by killing this child. Doesn't even make sense. Next day, get pregnant with the next king, right? A great guy. What kind of weird, weird God is this? Just hate you one day, well, here's a blessing the next. That doesn't make any sense either, does it? So like I say, you, you can't allow yourself to, to, to get into that, 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 that mindset, into that way of thinking. That, that God is arbitrarily picking and choosing those among us that he's going to bless and those he's going to curse. It just, it just doesn't work that way. We have an incredible amount of control over, over the cursing and the blessing ourselves. And the cursing, again, is... Simply when we choose to go our own way, that brings with us a whole host of consequences that appear as though God is cursing us when in fact we're actually bringing it on ourselves. Uh, Jesus actually refers to that. He said, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the blood is on your head. You, you've done this yourself. It actually changes the course of history there based upon the fact that Solomon wouldn't have been the oldest son and he wouldn't have become king. Had the first son lived. Right. Yeah. 
Naturally, yes. Under, under that natural progression. It, it would have been interesting to see if David would have you know, seen you know, Solomon as a much better choice right. and bypassed that. I mean, it, it has happened in history you know, that the, the non-natural son would have been, been the one chosen. I mean, Jacob certainly did that. Right. Picked, picked the youngest as his favorite <laughs> as opposed to the eldest. And, uh, well... That's, that led to problems also, though. Yes. Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. So verse 25, the Lord sends Nathan again, this time not for judgment, but instead to reassure David of his love for him and for this, this new child. So Nathan comes with a good word of God. Again, it's, it's just you know, what God does. See, I forgave you, so we're willing to move on. Now, Solomon has an actual second name, a nickname, I guess, Jedediah which means loved by the Lord. But notice the word sent comes up again. God sends Nathan. Now again, this reveals the true nature of God. And if God was this way back then, that's the way he is with us today. God does not hold a grudge for repented sin. Now if you continue to be a jerk and continue to sin, then... That's going to change the relationship. But repented sin means God says, I forgive you and I forget. You can't forget and hold a grudge. <laughs> right? I've known people who tried to do that. They look silly. And it's very confusing for the other person in that relationship. You mad at me or not? Well, today's this, tomorrow's that. You know, it's always something different. If you forget, you forgive and forget, then you forgive and forget. You can't continue to bring it up. You can't continue to hold a grudge. Again, as David forgives, realizes God forgives and forgets, he also realizes that I've set into motion now a series of events that are going to become unpleasant because back then I chose to disobey God. Now at the end of, end of chapter 12, starting in verse 26, the final battle... You see, yeah, David, David is doing nothing. He's sitting in the palace doing nothing. His army is out fighting. He's not even anywhere to be found. Joab is doing all the work. But as they win the battle, Joab sends a message to David, basically saying, get your butt here to the battle, or I, Joab, are going to claim all this victory for myself. Well, David shows up and takes credit for the victory. <laughs> he did nothing. <laughs> And he even takes all the spoils of war, although he didn't do anything to earn it. David steals the credit for Joab's work, just as he stole Uriah's wife. Now, keep Joab in mind. Joab has already gone against David's orders once. We're going to see him go against David's orders again. So Joab's kind of a, a loose cannon in this, this whole deal. But most prominent general he has. And uh, it's not, not real good here. But that is the end of chapter 12. What other thoughts do you have with chapter 12? Just a question. Please. Do you think that when you have forgiven someone, you remember it no more? Well, let me flip the coin on you. What would happen if you continue to remember it and allow... And allow that to dictate 
I think when you forgive, truly forgive, you must forget. That's, that's what I'm saying, I yes. Believe. Because and if... I know it, lots of people that don't Precisely. That. And I've, I've had people actually, I've heard people actually say, I can forgive you, but I will not forget. Uh, well, right. there you go. So you're basically saying, I will allow this to continue to color our, our relationship. Yeah, that's how right? I feel about it. So, I mean, again, creating God's image, if this is what God does, this is what we need to do. Now, that's easier said than done. Absolutely. Understand. But over the course of time, if you, again, practice makes perfect. So if you continue to practice trying real hard to forget and not allow that past to dictate how I treat you today. Right? That's how I feel about it. I but that's, sure that's, I that's godly, yes. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Because you, that, that's what God does. You can make yourself forget it. I do it all the time. Sure. I do too. You refuse to remember. There's been things that have, that have happened here that, uh, yeah. um, the, the, for some reason it comes up, people remember, didn't that person do this back then? Mm-hmm. And they asked me, what was that story? I literally can't remember the story. Yeah. I, I know something happened. I, I cannot remember the details of it because I have forgiven and I've forgotten. Because, yeah, otherwise it's a tainted relationship. Yeah, it would be the same with David and God, the same with you and I, if we allow that past to continue to infect our present. But do you think that the person has really forgiven? That's, that's the thing about it. Have they really forgiven it if they continue to draw it up in their own mind? Have they forgiven? I, I would say not. That's what I think. It's just a hollow word at that point, kind of like uh, Saul saying, oh, forgive me, right? I mean, it was a, a hollow request because he had an ulterior motive and he was just trying to play games with God. Yeah, yeah. But by definition, it must be forgive and forget. Um, there's a real famous book written, wow, back in the, I'm so old, uh, back in the early 80s called Forgive and Forget. I'm pretty sure I have a copy of that in my office. It's a landmark book. Uh, really one of the best works of theology I've ever read. And... Um, Absolutely incredible, uh, but yeah, he the, the author puts all that to paper and helps you to see the progression and how how that goes. But pretty much, yeah, that's the bottom line. So yeah, I mean, if others don't understand it, at least we need to understand that. That if I say I forgive, uh, then that means I'm at the very least trying to forget. <laughs> and please help me forget. And I guess you know, what that means is, yeah, you know, I, I need our relationship to change to the point that you're not continuing to do the thing that reminds me of what you did to me before and keep throwing that back. So forgiving means that I'm not giving you permission to continue to act badly, right? To continue to sin. Forgiveness means that I, I want to work with you to continue to move you in the right direction so that we both of us can forget this, this ugly past. I do question though if the relationship would ever become the same two friends yes two good friends and there has been a sin a forgiveness but is the relationship between the two friends ever going to be like it was in the beginning I can one up that if you're asking if it will be the same no but what I have seen and what I've experienced in my own life is it's actually better. Sometimes. If both parties allow that to happen. And I've, I've experienced that here in this church and I've experienced that in other churches. People that have done 
something really off the wall or whatever, and we sit down, we talk about it, and and like I say, you know, I remember it no more. I want you to remember it no more. Let's let's go on. And that freedom, then you look back over the years and you realize our relationship is way better today than it ever was before the sin. I mean, we had a really good relationship before. So I guess the design is it would actually become better because now we're we're all. We're all honest and clean, and you know, and we've we, we, we've gone through that. Which I think, again, going back to Donna's point, you know, the the, the suffering, the the trial, the difficulty is actually designed to make things better. Because I think God wants us to continue to to grow in our faith, to to actually get better over the course of time, as opposed to just become stagnant and you know, ah, you're good enough. The goal is always to to excel. You're kind of leery to open the door to the hurt sure. again. That's that's the drawback. Yep. You know, you did this once, and that's okay, it's over, it's done, but I'm not going to open this up for you to do it again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is not a good conversation. (laughs) 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 Oh, 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 Jody, I don't like you right now. I love you. (laughs) Now listen, I... Oh, man, I forgive but I but but then the same behavior comes back and then I don't enable and then it brings it back you know so that's oh this is bad no but how many times did I say both parties have to be willing to work with Mm -hmm. this so forgiveness does not mean that I I forgive what you've done in the past Forgiveness means that I forgive what you've done in the past and I trust that you will no longer do that. And get better. Right. If you continue to do that, then... Then you can't hold me accountable for being Larry and... and right. Because, okay, boy, now that's really putting a lot on me because I... Jesus says you, you, you need to be, be, in a sense, like a sheep and, 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 a, and a wise, wise you know, serpent. All at the same time. I take the serpent. Let's right. strike because no, I, exactly. I, I'm, I'm he, done. He, he, he doesn't want you being being foolish. So yeah, so somebody who has a, a, a long pattern of the same behavior and even when they say, oh, I learned my lesson and they, next week they go right back to it again. Yes, you, you don't treat that as if, well, I'm just going to turn a blind eye to that. It does change the relationship. It does you know, dictate. Now, you still need to forgive. But in that case, you can't forget. Because the person keeps bringing it up, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I'm saying. Both both right. people have to be on the same page of this. That takes you back a little bit to what you said in the very beginning. The consequences are going to go right. on because of sin. And but if that person, the other person, chooses to let the consequence go, then it will. If they choose to change it, right. then it's going to change. That's not on you. That's on the other person. You and God are okay. Right. That's what matters. I right. don't know about that all the time, but that's, that's here regardless. I mean, I mean, I keep trying. That's why Jesus says you must forgive. So, uh, now the opposite of that is an unforgiving spirit. Basically saying, you hurt me, I'm never going to forgive you. Obviously, I'm never going to forget. I'm going to hold that against you for the rest of your life. That's what Jesus says is a no-no. You can't do that. But forgive in the forgiveness I've discovered... When I forgive somebody, it benefits me a lot more than it benefits you. Because it, 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 it releases me. See, forgiveness is a control issue. And you know, topics like you know, Jesus saying, turn the other cheek. That's a control issue. 
you know, we, he's asking us to choose to do the right thing. Even though we want to do the other thing, and we, we convince ourselves, I have every right to do the other bad thing, I choose not to do that. So forgiveness is, I choose to not, I'll use a double negative here, not withhold forgiveness. I will not be unforgiving to you. I will offer forgiveness. However, I, do, I, I, I did not condone that behavior back then. If you continue to do that behavior, I will continue not to condone it. So your continue to do that behavior continues to affect our relationship adversely. To the point that possibly we can't have a relationship. If you continue in that, I will no longer be, be supportive of you. I will no longer be a person that, that, in your mind, you view as an enabler in your process. So oftentimes, you know, people who sin use our best intentions against us. <laughs> you know, I just, I hate that. I'm trying to help you. But they use it as a support mechanism. You know, it's like, well, this person loves me, and, you know, regardless and all that. And sometimes you just got to, you got to be wise as a serpent. You got you to look through that and see, you know, what that person's agenda really is. And if it's not healthy, then it, it behooves us to intercede and stop that process. And if we're part of the process, then yeah, sometimes that requires us to be out. And sometimes the best forgiveness is just not making it worse. Because again, you can't control others. But you can't control yourself. Good. I think the Amish understand forgiveness maybe better than the Absolutely. Amish, like when they had the schoolhouse shooting. Yep. yep. The world stood in awe at the way they forgave. Yep. I mean, I did. Because I don't think it's anything more hurtful to a community to have a bunch of your children just yep. shot and called away. And, and they were just say forgiving. Like, but you know, my, my my concern is the world only sees the Amish Christians mm -hmm. that way. I'd like right. to I'd like them to see all Christians being exactly. that way, but unfortunately exactly. there's enough Christians or at least have the Christian banner, the whole opposite end of the spectrum yeah. that are hateful and mean and you know, everything but loving and forgiving that it, it puts into question all the rest of us. Yeah. But the person has to say they're sorry and ask for forgiveness. They really have to be want to be forgiven. Well, eh. when Jesus says you must forgive, he doesn't define it as, as long as the other person wants to be forgiven. So that's why I'm saying forgiveness does us a lot more benefit than it does the other person. Whether the other person is willing to receive it or not is inconsequential. So what we're doing is, again, we can't control the other person. What we see David doing, the goal is to be right with God. Just make sure you yourself are right with God. Because the other person then, they have to get right with God. So the other person knows that your forgiveness is available. Whether they accept it or not, is no reflection of you. That's all about them. So the other person doesn't even have to say, I'm sorry. They don't have to repent. Uh, they're, they're, uh, forgiveness does not, is not qualified. Jesus says, you've got to forgive. So if somebody hurts you, you've got to forgive. And then you start the training process of forgetting. And the beauty of it is, because this usually doesn't go well, you don't even have to let the other person know you have forgiven them. See, that's what I'm saying. You're kind of asking, you know, doesn't both parties have to be? No. It just says you have to be willing to forgive. But oftentimes, my ability to just be at peace with myself and forgive you 
by definition changes the relationship anyway. I don't have to come up to you and say, Linda, you did this to me and I, I forgave you. That usually doesn't go well, does it? <laughs> People don't like it when you point out their, their, their sin or how, oh, what do you mean? It's, you know, who are you, some high, mighty Christian? Are you, for, you know, just doling out forgiveness? And just, you know, it actually makes you look worse by making a point of it. But when I do it myself, it's just between me and God, that ch changes me, by definition, that is going to change our relationship. That, you know, you actually expect me to be mad at you, to, to, to you know, have retribution against you or to do something else, but instead, I've forgiven, so I've let it go. You're waiting for it, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not doing it. And after a course of time, you start scratching your head, huh. And you'll probably come to the conclusion, I'll bet that means you forgave me. See, I didn't have to make a point out of it, I just did it. That hopefully there would come a day when you would say, remember five years ago when I did that to you? It's like, I'll bet you forgave me. <laughs> right? Yeah, I did. Is it, then that just opens everything up. But yeah, to throw that in your face, it usually doesn't go well at all. They just, people, people don't like that. Don't, don't, don't start a sentence with, I forgive you. <laughs> it doesn't work in marriages. It doesn't work in any relationship I know. Uh, it's confrontational. It, it, set, it sets you apart, and it, it just makes it makes you look all high and mighty and everything, and people don't like that. So just forgive. Now, there, there are situations where you could go and talk to the person and say, you know, it's, we need to work this out. But that's not what Jesus says. Just forgive. Because that's between you and God. Not even so much between you and the other person. But you get right with God, absolutely that's going to help you to be in right relationship with other people. How cool is that? Isn't there a reference in the Bible as to how often you were forgave or how many times? Yeah, do you remember how many times that was? 70 times 7. That was just a couple, right? Yes. Yes. Well, that's a cool story. Peter is just, what a knucklehead. So he, he's, trying to, he's trying to impress Jesus with, with how kind and benevolent he is. See, Jewish law was you are to forgive three times. After three times, you kick into the curb, you have nothing more to do with them. You, you know, a pox on you, right? You actually curse them. So Peter comes and says, how many times should we forgive Jesus? Seven? So he's so kind of, but he's actually more than doubling the prescribed, customary, socially accepted number. Seven times? And Jesus says, now, 70 times seven. Now to get my calculator out, that's 490 times, Right? Do you think after 490 times of forgiving somebody, you're going to pretty much do that second nature? It's going to be... That's, that's a lot of practice. If I, I practiced piano 490 days in a row, I'd, 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 be, I'd be half decent, wouldn't I? Mm -hmm. That's a year and a half. <coughs> every day, right? I can't even read, read the piano music, so I, 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 I just... I still can't... How do you look at two lines of music and, and read that? It, it just it baffles me. I don't understand this at all. It's a, it's a foreign and alien concept to me. But, yeah, if I practice and practice and practice, I'd probably get, get pretty good at it. And that's, that's what Jesus is saying. So, in other words, there's, there's no limit to the forgiveness. After 490 times, you're not going to be keeping track anymore. You're just going to do it naturally. And that's what he wants. There would sure be a lot of less lawsuits if there yep. was more forgiveness. Yep. <laughs> yep. The lawyers wouldn't like the concept. But everybody likes to be right. And, uh -huh. yep, it's... It's a strange day in which we live.
But again, and Jesus actually addresses that. You know, he says, don't, don't sue each other. It's a bad Christian witness. Work it out. That might mean, I mean, we, the word we don't like in, in the faith is sacrifice, but it might mean you have to sacrifice a little bit. You might have to, if the person financially wronged you, you might have to just take that hit and be the bigger person and, and just move on. Sometimes. Not always. That, that, that's a difficulty. You, you, you can't come up with a hard and fast rule for any of this. It's all, all in, an individual situation. But that's why the Spirit is with us to, to, to grant to us wisdom. I mean, the, the nickname of the Spirit is, is the Counselor. You want, you, you want some, some, some counseling on what to do? I mean, don't we call lawyers counselors? <laughs> I just thought of that. Uh, uh, right? We, yeah, we, 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 we run to a lawyer first, but here's the Holy Spirit, God within us, serving in the same capacity, the counselor. You know, I, I will advise you on what to do if you have the wisdom to come and ask me. Asking you shall receive. Good. I think I can get this out. Because I've been struggling with this. You're saying it. It's about our relationship with God. But we, we tend to look at situations through our yeah. lens. Which means, just like with the piano thing, Linda plays beautifully, you can, can't read. From her expectation, it might be, okay, here it is. You should be able to do this right, right now. No, we're all, we all come, we're beautifully and wonderfully made differently. Mm -hmm. So when we come to situations, the key is to get your lens out of the way and open your heart and mind so you can understand. Even in grieving and different things, people act differently in the hard times, let alone the good times. It's okay to sit here and say, da-da-da, and, and we can understand that. But when hard times come, it's, it even looks different. So... We need to get right with God. And even with, when we're right with God, when the hard times come, we may act differently. We need to support each other as our head and heart are together. Does that make any sense at all? A great <laughs> synthesis of the entire conversation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because if we come in with, okay, I've forgiven you, it's not linear. It's, it's very open. There are yeah. many ways to look at things. So... It's black and white, what we need to do with God, but it's gray all over the place. Because there's too many variables. <laughs> An awful lot of variables. Yep. Love it. What other thoughts do you have in chapter 12? The good news the next couple chapters are kind of lightweight, so <laughs> just, just a little bit of history and stuff. <laughs> All right, let's do chapter 13. We can blow through this pretty pretty fast. Let, let, let's get the incest behind us, shall we? If they had said to name Solomon Jedediah, then why do they keep calling him Solomon? Or, That's a good question. Say that again, Linda. I didn't hear well, Nathan said that uh, David's son would be called Solomon. I mean, they called him Solomon, but then Nathan said to name him Jedediah. Then why is it still called Solomon? Why is he still called Solomon? If you figure that out, you have the answer to a lot of questions the whole way through on these names because they're all switched back and forth. You don't know who Every, you're reading. Everybody's got a nickname, and yeah, it just yes. yeah, it is. It's terribly, terribly confusing. Very. But they all start with A. 
Do you notice yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that comes to mind. <laughs> That's a really good question. I wish I had a good answer for you. Okay. But yeah, it, I never looked at it that way, but God is actually saying, call him Jedediah, but they... Because when he's told him to call him his name Jesus, they did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but look what else we call him. Yeah. Yes, he has a lot of names. So, the Messiah, you know, the come, all of those names, but that's not what the scripture said. They said Jesus. I, I don't know if that's a bearing on anything, but it's that way throughout. With, with so many names. Lots of lots of nicknames. But, uh, well, you know, Simon Peter. Mm -hmm. Original name was Simon, but he got a new name, Peter. And oh, was there any other Jedediahs? Is that seen again in the Bible, or is it just also? No, no. I think 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 just just him. Yeah. So he's called both names. Yeah, but I mean, in in, in scripture, more times than not, is referred to as, as Solomon. I think Jedediah does come up a few more times, but again, like Judy said, who's that? <laughs> right? Same, just, same person? Just, yeah, yeah. Call him, call him what he what he is. So it's you know, Jedediah is more a, more of a, a nickname, uh, but again, the name is critically important because it indicates the person. So this Jedediah, greatly loved by God, that's. If I was Solomon, I'd want to be called that. <laughs> right? If that's if that's the, the indicator of who you are as a person, then my gosh, yeah, that's that's a, a, a beautiful and wonderful name. All right, incest. Now, do you, do you understand why our author chapters ago made such a big deal about David falling into the sin of having too many women? This is this is what happens. Multiple wives having a bunch of kids. That is going to create issues. <laughs> so you have a lot of, of uh, you know, stepchildren is, is what you have all under one roof. Under you know, multiple, multiple women having multiple, multiple children creating all of that. So it's not just a blended family of you know, two, two families. We have a, a, a blending of 10, 15 families. Two's hard enough, trust me. <laughs> I wish you'd have been at the table when I read this. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. I, whose brother's this? Who's yes, this? yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the thing. It's the different wives. It's okay. all the same father. Yeah. Same father, yes. Father. So I say they're, they're, so they're, 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 they're half-brothers and sisters. They're, I you know, skipped that part. You know, yeah. <laughs> the beauty of Bible study. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... And again, you know, go back to what Nathan said. I mean, this, you're going to have problems in your family. Because the father is demonstrating this lifestyle. Is it any wonder? So Amnon's, another A, <laughs> Amnon's sin is really not that much different than David's. David modeled that to his son. His son now picks up, well, dad did it. Why not? So just that whole, you know, pronouncing his, his love for his half-sister and we realize now, when you look at it, it's nothing more than lust. Um, in, in verse 13, Tamar, the girl, actually pleads with Amnon to talk to David so that, you know, I mean, in our culture, Amnon, I mean, legally you can marry me. You know, make an honest, you know, I, I, I won't resist marrying you. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, just don't rape me for crying out loud. I mean, that's this isn't good. It's not, it's going to put a stigma on you. It's certainly going to put a stigma on me. Both of us are going to be ruined for life if you do this. Don't do this. Go talk to dad and work it out, and we'll set a wedding date, and I'll marry you for crying out loud. So but, is he allowed to marry his half-sister? Yes. 
Oh. Yeah. Okay. But rape is rape. No matter who, who it's with. Unfortunately, it's with a direct family member. So, uh, verse 3, though, is, reveals uh, Amnon's friend is the real villain behind this. This Jonadab guy. Because he's the one who suggests this evil plan of pretending you're sick and have her come over and the whole nine yards and make this food for me. So, but he's also a family member. He's identified as the nephew of David and thus a cousin of Amnon. So you're following the family relationship here. But remember, Nathan said, your family's going to fall apart before your eyes. Here it goes. Now, Tamar, the girl, is really a virtuous woman. You know, she pleads with Amnon not to do this and even says, don't force me. She even says, if he doesn't go through with the rape, they could get married. But if you do this, our lives are going to be ruined. And, of course, he doesn't listen. He rapes her. And the end result, verse 20, Tamar is a desolate woman living in her brother Absalom's house. What is so odd about all this is that immediately after the rape, Amnon hates her even more than he loved her. <laughs> what a weirdo. <laughs> Tamar tears her robe, which is the, the societally correct way of announcing that she is no longer a virgin. The virgins wore special clothing that announced, I'm a virgin. Well, she tears her clothing, and that's the end of that. Daddy finds out and is furious, but look what he does. Nothing. This is bad parenting. <laughs> right? Don't 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 try this at home. He, he does nothing likely because what Amnon did, he realizes is really about the same as I did. So it's kind of hard to discipline my son when I've modeled this behavior to him. But he still should have done it anyway. So David now becomes a silent, passive sufferer through the rest of this narrative. It goes on for chapters. But now the important point is these kids or what we would call it in their, 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 their formative years. They're being formed. A passive father, a non-interactive father, is actually the worst thing a child needs. He's here, but he's not. He won't, he won't interact with me. Absalom knows he, he needs punished. <laughs> Children know this. So the failure to do so, and the Bible makes it abundantly clear, even a child realizes that, that, that discipline is love. Therefore, the lack of discipline is the lack of love. David does nothing. Absalom comes to the conclusion, Dad doesn't love me anymore, so I'm just going to go do whatever I want. Eventually, we're going to see here in a couple chapters, he's going to try and kill his father. You don't love me? I don't love you. So Absalom now, Tamar's brother, full brother, nurses his hatred toward his half-brother and now begins a plot to kill his half-brother. He plans it for two years. And again, David does nothing. So that's what we call an overindulgent father. Is, you know, when a child needs discipline, not doing anything to, to discipline. David even allows Absalom to manipulate him into getting what Absalom wants. He wants to get Amnon out of town so he, can, so he can kill him. And David says, sure, go ahead. 
But now for the twist in this murder mystery. Amnon is the eldest son. Absalom is second. Alright, just what Bob said earlier. The natural order of things is Amnon is the first one in line for the throne. So now it puts into question what Absalom's intention really is. Is he really that mad about the rape of his sister? Or does he see this as a good excuse to kill the heir to the throne? I kind of think it's a second one <laughs> because of what he does next. He does pursue the throne. Now, do you see why God was right? The sword will never leave your house. So now we have siblings actually raping and killing each other. So two years pass. Absalom murders Amnon. That's two years. Verses 37 to 39 and three verses, three years pass. So Absalom goes into hiding and stays under the protection of his grandfather on his mother's side. So we have a total of five years passing in, in this chapter right off the bat. See how, how much time is, is going by? And David, David does nothing. So Absalom is living with his grandfather and David is incapable of administering justice even in his own family. He just lets him go. He doesn't do anything to even get Absalom to return home. But it would seem as though in that three-year period, David's heart is being prepared to receive Absalom back. But in so doing, even that's not going to be a very good decision and not work out well. It's going to proverbially blow up in his face. So there goes chapter 13. And a good place to stop for the day. Any final thoughts, questions on chapter 13? Just so you know, rape and incest are not good, especially when you compound that with murder. Just want to make sure we make that point.